And now I direct your attention to the Word of God, to the Old Testament, to the book of Exodus, chapter 13. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Years and years ago when I pastored in Georgia, I had a man in my church who was a chicken farmer. He had these huge houses, chicken houses that was filled with little baby chickens. And he would raise them up to a certain size and then he would of course sell them to the processors. One day, it was a kind of a cold day, I was visiting with him. And he said, come here, preacher, let me show you something. So I said, fine. We went out to one of those chicken houses. And he said, look at this. And he showed me above the heads of all the chickens, all the way down the length of that barn, which is probably twice as long as this sanctuary, there were lights, a ring of heat lamps that were suspended by a cable. And the heat lamps, of course, were over the chickens to give them the heat that they needed in that cold weather. But what he showed me on the wall was a thermostat. And this thermostat would detect the ambient temperature of that big barn and would automatically raise and lower those heat lamps for the well-being and the comfort and the survival of all those literally thousands of little chicks. The raising and the lowering providently guided by the all-knowing and detecting thermostat. That's what God did for the people in the wilderness. He brought them out of the land of Egypt. This is the story here right after the 10th plague, right after the death of the firstborn. Pharaoh had had enough and he finally said, leave. 
Take everything you want, just get out of here, leave. All that Moses had asked for was that the people would be allowed to go three days journey into the wilderness to worship. The important thing was that third day. Get there on that third day and worship the Lord. That was really all Moses had requested. But God was going to give them so much more. He was going to give them the promised land. He was going to lead them out of Egypt. Lead them through the wilderness. Lead them to the promised land and lead them into the promised land. God was leading His people. And He did it by a manifestation of His very person. The details in the passage twice mention the way the Lord led them. He led them by pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now I will suggest to you this was the same pillar. In the day, it manifested itself as a thick, dense, dark cloud. At night, this pillar would manifest itself as a bright, flaming fire. Now we saw last week this imagery, didn't we? When we looked at the sacrifice of the covenant giving between God and Abram, there was a smoking pot, a cloud, and there was a flaming torch that went between the parts of the animal sacrifice. This, I suggest to you, is a theophany. It is God manifesting Himself to His people, not just in a way that makes Him visible, but in a way in which He can relate to them and do for them what He needs to do for them. The text says the purpose of this was the cloud was to lead them by day. The purpose of the pillar of fire was to give them light by night. I will suggest to you that that is what God wanted to do with His people. He wanted to lead them by day and by night. He wanted to be constantly with them. It says, the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day did not depart from before the people. This was God in His magnificent leading, guiding, protecting presence. This is God with His people, day and night. Now from a practical standpoint, we can see very quickly the Lord in His presence was going to be a very practical 
protection for his people. For as they are to take their sojourn in the wilderness, God knows that they will face the hot, burning temperatures by day. And so he provided a pillar of cloud over them to shield them and protect them from the scorching heat of the midday sun. And by night in the desert, it gets cold. And he was there hovering over them to provide the heat and the warmth of his presence in order to comfort his people. One little side note I'd like to make, and that's the notion of it was a pillar. A pillar. I remember as a kid when I heard these stories, I, I, I sort of imagined a cloud being kind of spread over like an overcast. <laughs> and I remember kind of picturing in my mind the, the pillar of fire being kind of a ball of fire like a hot sun. And I don't know that those mental images are all that inadequate except that a pillar is something that goes up and down. A pillar is a very common image in the Old Testament. We find it everywhere. In fact, it's, it, it marks gates. We see that with Joaquin and Boaz, the, the pillars of the temple. It marks the support of a structure. We see that with the two pillars that Samson pushed apart that caused the great pavilion to fall upon the Philistines. It symbols majesty and beauty. The daughters of Israel are compared to magnificent pillars, artful, carved, and beautiful. But it goes vertical, up and down, stately, strong, massive, beautiful. Such a picture of God. But there's something else about the pillar. In this instance, the image of the pillar tells us something about the connecting of heaven and earth. The pillar, it's perceived, is reaches to the earth, to the people, to the dust, to the clay. But it ascends into the heavens, into the place of the Elysian fields and the celestial sublime beauty and majesty and mystery that is there. There's two symbols in the Old Testament that symbolize the connecting of heaven with earth. One is the pillar that I just mentioned. Another is the ziggurat or the ladder. We see it in the Tower of Babel. We see it in the story of Jacob and his dream. The ziggurat symbolizes a ladder, a stair step, a great stairway to heaven. And the idea is that man can climb that stairway and eventually reach heaven. This was the religion of the people of the Tower of Babel. They wished to ascend into the heavens. But Moses in his gospel preaching in Deuteronomy asked, who has ascended into heaven? No one. But the true picture of God's relationship to earth between the celestial and the terrestrial is that of God descending 
the angels coming down. And that is the true picture of the gospel. Man does not and cannot and will not ascend to God. But God descends to man. Now as a practical matter, we could spend a little time talking about the features of the pillar, especially in leadership. Notice in this passage it says, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. If you look at your little map in the back of your Bible, you'll see the geography. You'll see where Egypt is. You'll see where Canaan is. You'll see the coastline going north and south. And then over toward the east, you'll see the great desert. It would have been easy to get to Canaan in just a few days if you go straight up the coast, straight up through the Gaza Strip that we think of today. But that was the land of the Philistines. That was the place that God did not want them to end up first. Because he said they would see war and they would turn back to Egypt. The Lord protects his people. When he leads his people, he leads them in the most prudent route. He leads them by the route that will be the most advantageous for them. When God leads us on our sojourn, He leads us the way we need to go in order for Him to do. We've seen that over and over. The provident and the gracious leadership and guidance of the Lord. There's a lot of things in here that if I were a preacher, I'd love to pull out there and preach a little bit on. I love this thing here. It said, but the Lord led them around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. God took them a different route out of Egypt, leading them the way that he knew they should go. And listen to this particular uh, part of verse 18. The people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Does that make sense? God said, I'm going to deliver you from Egypt. I'm going to lead you through the wilderness. I'm going to give you the promised land. What do we need weapons of warfare for? God knew even though they were going to attain the victory, there was going to be battles along the way. God led them protectively and providently. And that's what this whole thing is about, the way God led them. He led them in order that they might travel by day and by night, ever ready to follow the Lord. The key to understanding leadership is to understand fellowship. What is the willingness of the people to follow? The Lord may lead, the cloud may go, the pillar of fire may move, but unless the people follow, 
There will be no victory. There will be no gain. There will be no blessing. There will be no promised land. There will be no home. God leads us in a way that enables us to follow, to stay with Him, to walk in step with Him day by day. Over and over and over, we hear the words of Scripture. The Lord says, I will be with you. The ultimate promise is those words given to Joseph by the angel, which says, His name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. El on the end of it is the word God and the word imminent, near, close, Emmanuel, the God who is always near. I'd like to suggest that that's what we have in our own lives with the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. God with us personally, with His personal presence, dealing with us, working with us, leading us, and moving us along to where we need to be. And the symbol of the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire is rich. Because we see in the presence of God is symbolized in the cloud, we see there the protection of God. We see in that the covering of God, but we also see in that the mystery of God. God is not seen at any time. There's a cloud that enshrouds Him, that covers Him. So we must walk by faith and not by sight. There is in the cloud where we live in the presence of God, there is still a certain amount of darkness. There's a certain amount of ignorance. There's a certain amount of unaware, unawareness of what we're up against. We don't know the next step. The Lord knows the next step. He knows that instead of taking us three days out this way, He's going to take us 40 years the other way because of our sin and our rebellion. God knows how He's going to lead us. We don't know. We live in the cloud. It's a cloud sometime of doubt. It's a cloud of despair. It's a cloud of uncertainty and ambiguity. But that's God. He's never left us. That's still His presence. In your darkest night, in your most befuddled mental state. There he is. He's in the cloud. He's also in the fire. The fire symbolizes in Scripture destruction, judgment, but it also symbolizes brilliance and light. And that's where we live. We live in the light of his presence the brilliant shining torch of God opens our eyes to be aware of many things, completely changes our worldview, helps us understand the reasons for so many things. 
the light of God's revelation where he has made it crystal clear in plain language and in brilliant light the truths of the gospel, the manifestations and the revelations and the opening of the treasures and the revealing of the secrets and the mysteries of life and of the, his person and of the gospel and of his presence. Living in the presence of God is like living in light. The darkness of ignorance and, the, and, and all of that, that that weighs so many people down does not belong to the Christian. For God has opened our eyes and has shown us marvelous things out of his word, out of his law, and out of other revelations that he has made to us. Living in the light, walking in the light as he is in the light, we have the fellowship with one another. We can see clearly so many things that make our lives so much better. When we walk through the veil of darkness, we know there is light on the other side and we can feel the warmth. Even the fiery brilliance of the pillar of fire in our lives purifies us. We've talked about this many times from this pulpit, how that the fiery trial that comes upon us is not there to destroy us, but it's there to purify and to purge the dross and the filth out of our lives. There's one other little thing I'd like to point out in this passage. There's so many things here, but what is this strange little reference here in the middle of this passage? Moses took the bones of Joseph. Here they are leaving Egypt and they get a coffin full of bones and it's Joseph's bones. And then he quotes it. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel, it was only 70 souls back in Egypt when they first got there, that Joseph made his brothers swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you will carry up my bones with you from here. Well, this is a reference back to Genesis chapter 50. And so at the very end of the book of Genesis, we have this incredible story. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you will carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old, they embalmed him and put him in a coffin in Egypt. That's the last sentence of the book of Genesis. The bones of Joseph in a coffin, waiting the moment in God's time when there'd be a special visitation of God's power and would deliver the people from Egypt. This took a few centuries to come to pass. But there is something about the prophecy or the promise 
of a visitation from God. And then one day in the temple, when old Zechariah, an aging priest, was performing the duties of his course with the incense offering. He was visited by an angel who spoke to him. And following that episode, and then finally the birth of little John the Baptist, listen to what Zechariah said in what's known as the Benedictus, found and recorded in the first chapter of Luke. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. A visitation of God. One more time, God coming to be with His people. Notice when He'll raise up the horn of salvation to the house of His servant David. This He spoke by the mouth of the prophets of old, that they should be saved, that He would show mercy that he would remember his holy covenant that we talked about last week, the oath that he swore to the father Abraham, and that we would be delivered. When God visits, he visits for our salvation. Let me just mention in closing there's another anticipated visitation of God that's on the horizon. And that's the visitation of the return of Christ. When Christ ascended, he was received by a cloud. And when he returns, he will come in like manner, the angels say, in a cloud and receive us unto himself that where he is, there we may be also God with us, God with His people, Emmanuel, visitation from God. That's what really I think Christmas is all about. 